so we're looking at uh, John, uh, uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, as we continue to go through Acts, and we've been stalled uh, for good reason in Acts chapter 10 uh, because of all the things that, that it, it, um, it unpacks for us. And so we're about to see the implications of Peter's uh, vision where he saw all these animals on the sheet come down and uh, the Lord says, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, because these are unclean animals. And, uh, and Peter will actually apply this uh, in his ministry. Incidentally, uh, the feast day, I don't know if you know this, that in the old calendar, and some people still use it, uh, but you have assigned feast days, like some of them you're pretty well aware of, like Easter uh, or, or All Saints or Pentecost, but there are also saints days. And uh, Saturday... Uh, I think, or Friday, either Friday, Friday or Saturday, was the feast day for Cornelius the Centurion, who is the guy in Acts 10, the first Gentile convert uh, to Christianity. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 10. Uh, the next day, this is beginning with verse 23b. Uh, the next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to reveal your word to us. Uh, that our eyes might be open to the wonder of your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> this morning I want to talk about falls from grace, and so if, if you like good juicy classes, uh, this is one because we're going to uh, get into some rather scandalous things that have happened, uh, because just the profoundness of this one little verse when Cornelius bows down uh, to worship Peter. And what that meant was that he didn't think that Peter was um, God the Father because you remember Cornelius was what they called a God-fearer, basically a Jewish-believing Gentile, but didn't practice a lot of the kosher laws and things like that, uh, and yet feared God and believed that there was one God. And so uh, it may have been that he thought that Peter uh, was in the sort of like the Roman pantheon of gods, that he was sort of an incarnation uh, of one of them, and so that kind of threw him for a loop. Indeed, we find that in uh, Paul's missionary journeys, uh, he was often mistaken um, for uh, one of the gods. And so, uh, but more likely, because Cornelius was a god-fearer, he fell down at Peter's feet in the same way uh, Peter, James, and John fell down at the Transfiguration, right? When they see Moses and Elijah or anywhere in the Old Testament where, where an angel of the Lord shows up. I mean, what's stop, drop, and roll. Like, that's just what you do, right? That's, you, you fall down uh, before them. But also, 
uh, which we'll get into uh, at another time, is that uh, God had already spoken to Cornelius and said, Cornelius, go, send for Peter down in Joppa, which is just down the coast from Caesarea Maritina, and uh, get, get him to come up here. And so, um, at the very least, Peter, and understandably so, being an apostle, uh, is a messenger of the Lord who's brought this gospel message, this good news, uh, into this Gentile uh, household. And Peter wonderfully manages it and says, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm supposed to be here. Uh, but this one little verse, uh, I t- get up. I, I too am a man. If anybody else in the Bible has said that, I think that I just would have moved right over it. But because Peter said it, I, can you, and, and you know, this is uh, my, a friend of mine who will sometimes say, well, this is what I think is going on in the scriptures. I, I said, well, that sounds like your sanctified imagination. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch that when Peter says, I too am a man, uh, he knows it at a very deep level. Right? This is the one who betrayed the Lord and uh, was restored by the Lord, uh, but at the same time was constantly blowing it. And so of all people, he was self-aware enough to say, you got to get up. Uh, really, by saying, I too am a man, uh, saying to this Gentile, in a sense, if you only knew, you would know I'm much worse than you are. Indeed, when uh, Paul writes to Timothy, um, uh, Craig mentioned it this morning in a sermon, and he says, uh, here's a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Uh, so one of the things that the Holy Spirit has done in the life of the apostles, who are supposed to be these holy men, right? The, the people that you would bow down to, the people that uh, you would imagine are cl- as close to the throne of heaven as possibly could be, is this in touchness with themselves and their own nature, knowing that I'm just a man. I'm just a man that God is using, yes, in a very remarkable way, uh, but that's God, uh, that's me. And so, in fact, don't look so much at me Right? Don't, don't do as I do, do as I say, uh, sort of thing. And uh, this morning, I just want to look at um, three stories of pretty significant falls from grace. Uh, one, uh, not exactly sure what happened with it, uh, another, how it ended. Another one is still going on right now, and one that is finished, and, and what, it, what it looks like to be in the aftermath of a huge life failing. And so uh, we're going to talk about three Christians, three Christians uh, who uh, have fallen. Now, what does it mean to to fall uh, from grace? Biblically speaking, you cannot fall from grace. You cannot. uh, I know that there are some people in the church who say, well, you can lose your salvation. Uh, Well, if that's the case, um, what's that? Yeah, we're in big trouble. Yeah, that's right. If you can lose it, you can, if you can unearn it, it means that you can earn it. And so uh, God's uh, salvation is complete, and once he has his hand on you, his strong grip, uh, you can try to get away as much as you want, and it can feel like you've gone away. Because there are certainly those of us in life, we're about to see them, uh, who have said, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, and have done some crazy, terrible things. Now, um, the people that I'm going to talk about and I'm not out to, to judge people, but I guess this is a statement of judgment. The people that I'm going to talk about this morning are people who are Christians. 
They're Christians. They actually believe in the Lord Jesus, have a relationship with Him, uh, and, and yet have done something crazy. So I'm not talking about the person who says, well, I'm a Christian, but, you know, in a cultural sense, if you know what I mean. So when I talk about falling from grace, what I'm talking about is some sort of traumatic, significant moral failure in the life of the individual. I'm not talking about somebody who was a Christian who now is not. I'm not talking about that. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that I noticed in the newspaper is that uh, people have moral failings all the time. All the time, right? But what are the ones that make the front page? Christian preachers, especially, right? Preachers are, are, are the one. I, I did catch Lauren one, uh, one night watching a Lifetime movie about a, a pastor's wife who uh, killed her husband. And um, uh, um, she, she slid a notebook behind her uh, when... Uh, that's not true. That's not, she, I, she was watching it, but it, 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 I, she, it wasn't, she wasn't taking notes. Um, uh, but stuff like, you know, that sensationalism fails. Why? Because of this cultural understanding of Christianity, which is that Christianity is primarily concerned about people's behavior and morality. And that is very much the church's fault uh, through the years because uh, we've, we've equated it like that, especially in ministries like youth ministry. Uh, Cameron Cole sent me an article the other day that said that there is a correspondence to kids who grew up in a youth group that was heavy on don't do this, don't do this, and do this, and do this, that kids who grew up in, in youth ministries that were heavy on the law were more likely to go crazy in college and to just sort of, you know, to, to go for it. And yet uh, there are so many that think, well, the answer to that is let's crank up the volume on the kids. Like, let's really, really hammer it home. I don't, uh, for me, uh, I remember once uh, Josh McDowell. Do you all know Josh McDowell? Really uh, wonderful speaker, wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter, which is a very good book to give to people who are thinking about Jesus but not exactly sure what to think about him. So I was, uh, I was taken by my church's youth group to Josh McDowell, and I was excited. I had read More Than a Carpenter. And then Josh McDowell proceeded to get up and do the... Uh, uh, sexual abstinence talk, and uh, at the end of it, uh, which is an important talk, but at the end of it, uh, all of us were definitely not going to have sex because we were mortified of what disease we might get, uh, not because of the Lord Jesus, right? Uh, I mean, basically, there was the one with the slideshow, and it was awful, and, um, um, and um, that kind of, so, I mean, that actually, for those, and I'm, I'm an oldest born, so for me, that was somewhat effective. That was sort of like, whoa, you know, uh, uh, but it, it planted, we don't, you don't need to hear about my hang-ups, but anyway, uh, it planted all kinds of bad ideas in my mind, but, uh, but for most people, 90, well, 100% of people, everybody, uh, it, it begins, uh, that kind of stuff wears off. I mean, you're back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? God would say. However, the youth ministries that are rooted in the gospel and the person and work of Jesus Christ, talking about what God has done for them and Jesus and the Holy Spirit transforming their hearts, are less likely to get involved in that kind of stuff. Right? And the fear from a lot of Christians is, but that'll give them license. Right? That will make them think that you know, God will forget. But it's effective. 
It's effective. Why? Because we have a high trust in the Holy Spirit and the gospel message uh, to change uh, people's hearts. And so today uh, in our world, and it has been for a very, very long time, Christianity is primarily about being good and moral uh, and nice. And Christians are supposed to be the, the picture, the picture of the model citizen. And so when they fall, they're feed for the fodder, right? They're, they're easy, easy pickings. You know, if somebody read uh, um, an article, uh, I mean, the reverse might be true too. So if, you know, the owner of the furnace uh, or Sammy's decided to be ordained, you know, that probably would make front page uh, news. Um, but, you know, if you heard, I, I was reading, AL.com is killing me. Is, if Kyle Whitmire and John Archibald, if you're listening, you're killing me. And um, there was an article recently on AL.com about these strippers in Portland, Oregon, who were unionizing, and some of their demands were uh, certain safety guidelines and standards concerning the fixedness of the pole. And, uh, and I just thought, this is crazy, right? This is crazy kind of stuff uh, that's going on. But, uh, but when you hear, when you read an article about that kind of stuff, you don't ex- you expect that kind of stuff to, to come out. But when Christians are involved, any sort of uh, moral mishap or shortcoming uh, is, uh, is really uh, is going to make uh, front page news. And so let's talk about Ted Haggard. So Ted Haggard in 2006, he was the pastor of New Life Christian Church in Colorado Springs, one of the largest churches in America. He was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals, which is this huge organization that since this moment has kind of really crashed. Uh, But uh, it was the NAE was sort of the more conservative answer to the National Council of Churches. And so Ted Haggard was the president of this. And then in 2006, Ted Haggard was busted for a three-year affair with a male prostitute who was also supplying him methamphetamine. So you've got this pastor of this 20,000-member church, married with children. He's been going off. He's in Colorado Springs, but he goes into Denver fairly frequently to, to go to this male prostitute and to get drugs from him as well. And... Um, Things were going fine uh, until um, the prostitute he was frequenting found out who he was and then outed him, uh, outed him. And, um, and the prostitute said, uh, it made me angry, this is a quote, uh, it made me angry that here's someone preaching against what he's doing and going behind the scenes and doing exactly the same thing. I had to expose the hypocrisy. He is in the position of influence of millions of followers. That's an exaggeration. And he's preaching against the very thing he's doing. But behind everybody's back, he's doing what he's preached against. And so the motivation of this prostitute, all of a sudden in a position of moral authority, (laughs) calls out Ted Haggard. Now, um, the reasons aside... um, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to Ted Haggard, that he got caught. So in 2006, when all of this came out, um, he uh, clearly resigned his position, uh, kind of forced out really at, at the church, at the uh, National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, the church made him step down. He went to some 
facility and in Arizona to try to get his life back on track. I mean, clearly multi-levels, everything from sexual confusion to a meth, a meth addiction to, um, and that's just the start of it. And then probably some marriage counseling would be a good idea. Uh, and then, uh, and then his chill, he's got, I think he has three or four kids. And so how to, and they were older when this happened. So how all of this kind of stuff works out. And um, just a terrible, awful tragedy. And it was very interesting because you had people like Mike Jones, this prostitute, who was saying, hypocrite. Um, but I was taking a class with Paul Zoll at the time at Trinity School for Ministry. And one of the students stood up and said, we were talking about Ted Haggard because it had just happened, stood up and said, see, these mega church pastors, see, all of it's a lie. It's just a total projection. This is what they're really like. And I just thought that was interesting because the world looks and says that's what Christians are like, but this guy was sort of like putting them even, even into smaller categories. And I just said, you know, everyone else thinks you're that guy too, right? I mean, it's not, you know, you're sort of trying to parse that out is not uh, helpful uh, or true. Uh, but what was the thing that we were talking, the thing we were talking about that really struck us uh, was, was his quote from his letter to his congregation, And he said this, the public person I was wasn't a lie. It was just incomplete. The public person I was wasn't a lie. It was just incomplete. And in a follow-up question, he said, my congregation has seen 98% of me. This is just only 2% of my life. And that's when I really started praying for his wife and kids. Uh, and praying for him. Why? Uh, because of this understanding that somehow you can compartmentalize the, the really bad sin. You know, there are socially acceptable sins that are fine, whatever. Uh, but, but these types of things, if you can just compartmentalize them and say, you know, that's just 2% of me, rather than the, this, the, the Bible's idea of original sin, is that every single part of us is corrupted by sin. Now, that doesn't mean you're, t- like, we believe in total depravity, not utter depravity, right? We don't believe that you are the worst as, as you could possibly, you could be much worse, believe it or not. Um, uh, but, uh, but that he thinks that this manifestation of, uh, of frequenting the gay prostitute and, um, and the drugs was just a teeny tiny part of our life. But all of us know that if we've got some dark, sordid secret in our life, it controls everything else. Everything else, especially when it comes to, was it, who was it, Mark Twain that said, uh, you know, the thing, uh, if you just uh, tell the truth, you'll never have to remember anything. <laughs> uh, if you just tell the truth, you'll have to remember, you won't have to remember anything. Because uh, when you are living a lie, it forces you to lie about everything. And talk about, you know, I, I know that Ted Haggard felt that he was in bondage. That, that he, was, he was stuck. And uh, I guarantee even in the midst of when all this is going on, that there are times where, uh, I mean, Romans say, I don't want to be doing this, and I want to be caught. I want someone to pull me out of this situation and, and rescue me. Uh, I can't do it myself. Uh, I can't do it myself. Now, I haven't, uh, the reason why I said this is sort of um, undefined, this ending, uh, he has since moved back to Colorado Springs and started uh, his own church. Uh, but the crux of the issue 
over this. This is just sort of one part of my life, uh, but not really who I am. Misses human nature altogether. Now, we're going to talk about the response of the church to Ted Haggard at the end. Um, and so, because that's, that's the part that's important. How do we respond to people who have had huge moral failings in, in our communities, in our families, in our lives? This is one that's going on right now. This is Heather Cook. Uh, on the left is her mugshot. On the right is, is the picture that the Diocese of Maryland used uh, right before she was elected the Bishop Suffragan of Maryland. Um, a couple years before she was elected the Bishop Suffragan of Maryland, uh, she was arrested for a DUI. She was driving on the side of a four-lane highway going 25 miles an hour on the shoulder uh, on two rims. Uh, she had two flat tires, and when they pulled her over, uh, they found a completely empty uh, bottle of uh, whiskey, and she had vomit down the front of her shirt. Her blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit, and they also found drug paraphernalia and drugs in the car, so she had a narcotics charge against her. Uh, so after this, um, she was uh, in the election for Bishop Suffragan of Maryland. Uh, she was elected bishop uh, at a reception, we've now learned, two nights before her, um, her consecration. Uh, the Bishop of Maryland uh, talked with the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church uh, because Heather Cook was very inebriated at this gathering. And, uh, and two days later, or a day and a half later, uh, she was consecrated a bishop of the church. And then, of course, many of you know, a couple days after Christmas, uh, she was arrested after she hit a man on his bicycle, uh, a father of two. Uh, he died uh, from that accident and she fled the scene. Um, someone pursued her, she returned, and then left again, and then came back again. Uh, and upon that second coming back a couple hours later, uh, her blood alcohol contact was again uh, three times the legal limit, and they found that she'd also been texting uh, while driving, and this was at two in the afternoon. Well, I mean, what do, you, what do you do with this? Now, I've referenced this in a sermon uh, recently when talking about we ought to be crying out for mercy uh, in, instead of justice. Um, uh, again, going back to Genesis and, and the fall, uh, it's, you know, this woman whom you gave me, uh, this snake over here is the one who did it. There's been a lot of passing of the buck, and so many people have been so worried about, I mean, we gathered as clergy in the Diocese of Alabama, and do you know what the number one issue brought up was? What's our insurance in Alabama on something like this? Right? Nobody asked, how is she? What's, what's going on uh, with her? Um, how is the church responding uh, to what she's doing? Incidentally, uh, you would be... Uh, uh, maybe surprised to know uh, that the person who posted the $2.5 million bond uh, to get her out was one of the six Connecticut priests who was defrocked by the Episcopal Church for being too conservative. And so he bailed her out. Um, uh, he was, I thought he was a, he's a great guy. He was the rector of the church in Bristol, Connecticut. And I thought it was so cool because everyone from ESPN went to his church. Um, um, so it's fun. Uh, but um, this really 
uh, has hit a bruise in the Episcopal Church because um, one of the hallmarks of the Episcopal Church is, you know, I mean, all the little jokes, you know, what's the difference between running into the Baptist preacher and the dean at the liquor store? The dean says, hey, um, or, uh, uh, or um, wherever four Episcopalians are gathered, there'll always be a fifth, or... Uh, this sort of, you know, and I've even heard people talk about like how, how, how great it is that they, can, uh, that, uh, that they can partake of alcohol in the Episcopal Church and it's not seen as some moral failing because you know how to keep your Baptist friend from drinking all your beer on a fishing trip. <laughs> Invite another Baptist. Um, <laughs> so there are all these jokes uh, that go around about that, except this has really exposed a big problem that we have uh, in the church. If you've not read John Zoll's book, Grace and Addiction, we have it in the bookstore. It's a great, great book. Uh, and John talks about his own struggle and working the 12 steps and how it really applies to all of us, not just people who are dealing with substance abuse or, or any uh, sort of uh, physical addiction, but just dealing with sin in, in our lives. Um, uh, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that basically when Christians fail, we live up to the reputation of being the only army that shoots their wounded. Uh, and, and stuff like this, you know, I probably disagree with just about everything theologically that Heather, but, but she's my sister, right? Ted Haggard, I probably disagree on a ton of stuff with Ted Haggard too, but what is our response uh, to people who fall from grace, and normally the response is a, is a shunning, right? A, a shunning of, of... Now, I do think that there is a place. Now, if somebody is saying with impunity, like, you're just going to have to get over the fact that I went to this prostitute and, and did meth, or you're just going to need to get over the fact that, you know, if, if somebody's trying to make all these crazy excuses, uh, clearly there needs to be some crushing done, that the law needs to do its work uh, on that person to bring them to the place where they can I mean, first step in AA is what? Admitting admitting that you have a problem and that you're powerless to do anything about it. And until you're ready to make that first step, it would be pointless to work any of the other steps. That is absolutely essential uh, in in making that happen. Uh, And so I'm not talking about that sort of thing, but I'm talking about what the psalmist says when he says, uh, speaking of the Lord, uh, a a bruised reed he will not crush, and a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not crush, and a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. And we're surrounded by a lot of dimly burning wicks and and crushed, crushed reeds, um, I really, you know, anytime Bravo has something to do with a, a show in Birmingham or E Network, I always want to get what's the one about the one over in Atlanta and the friend with the dogs? What's that one called? Y'all probably all best friends with her. What's the um, what was that one called? Is that one where the where the friend comes over with the dog and the guy's the cosmetic dentist? Meg, help me out here. Yes, thank you. I've never seen it, um, but um, when I see these shows. Um, I mean, I'm just sort of amazed by the things, one, how public they are about airing all of their dirty laundry. Uh, and I, and I, I will get somebody from one of these shows because the other one was the, um, uh, what was the other? Uh, Jersey Bell. Jersey Bell was the other one. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, the, the stereotype that a lot of those shows try to reinforce, which I don't think is necessarily true, uh, if you think I'm wrong about this, but, you know, Birmingham being this terrible judgmental place, and if you fall, uh, you might as well uh, forget it. Um, I think that that's actually more symptomatic of the culture, which right now does think I ought to be able to do whatever I want to do. And not only should you uh, be tolerant of that, but you should actually support that. And if you don't support that, you're a jerk. Uh, and so I think that that's a little bit more of what's going on. Uh, but I do wonder when we do have uh, friends and family and neighbors uh, who, uh, who crash, what is our response? Uh, in Beaufort, where we were, there was this wonderful website called mugshots.com, and you could get on and look at the arrest record, and everybody got on. And why? Because Beaufort was so small, you would know somebody on there. And, um, and it always helped you make, feel, make yourself feel better about yourself because you're like, well, I'm not that great, but they're real bad. Um, and I said it in a sermon, and it was like the needle went off the record. And I said, well, you know the difference between all the DUIs on mugshots.com and you. They got caught. I mean, in Beaufort, I mean, the joke in South Carolina is that in Greenville, they ask what you do for a living. In Charleston, they ask what's your mother's maiden name. And in Beaufort, they ask, what do you want to drink? Uh, and... Uh, and so the, the reality of, you know, John Hooper was the great English reformer who was watching people being carried off to be burned at the stake by Mary, and he would eventually be burned at the stake. And he was the one that said, uh, but for the grace of God go I. If it weren't for God's grace, that would be, and then he ended up finding himself right in that spot. Um, and so th that, that is a truth uh, that I hope sinks deep down in our hearts that uh, many of us uh, have, have done things in, in our lives, and we are very grateful that we never got caught. Uh, now, in the, these are two sensational situations, uh, with Ted Haggard, uh, who, who really went crazy, and, uh, and uh, Heather Cook, who clearly uh, has some real uh, deep-seated issues uh, that she is going to need uh, to work through. Um, but it's curious, Alden Hathaway, the retired Bishop of Pittsburgh, who served with me at St. Helena's in Beaufort, I asked him what his number one issue in dealing with clergy was, and what do you think it was? Alcohol. Alcohol. Uh, the abuse of alcohol. Especially, you know, if you're a Christian, especially if you're a pastor, but if you're a Christian, and, and sometimes that can be very isolating, uh, and especially if you're a pastor, and uh, we were just at diocesan convention in Tuscaloosa, and uh, another priest from the diocese came up, and he said, do you think we could have lunch once a quarter? Because I'm just dying. I'm just dying. And uh, just terribly uh, is married and has lovely children, but just lonely, uh, lonely. And so the fact that a lot of clergy, especially in the Episcopal Church, would turn to alcohol... Uh, Lella Bromberg tells the story that when the Lenten service, uh, services, preaching services started, there was a bishop from Kentucky, not Bishop Klingman, but a bishop from Kentucky came to visit, and, uh, and John Turner told uh, Lella and Frank, uh, apparently he called every woman girl, and he said, girl, don't serve them anything to drink. 
And, uh, and so uh, she said, and so for, he was here for three or four days, and uh, he asked if there was anything to drink in the house, and Lella said, no, uh, there wasn't. And that last night, they were going to Birmingham Country Club for dinner, and the bishop of Kentucky excused himself, and before they knew it, he had walked over to the bar, and he had them pour the biggest glass of bourbon, and they heard him say, put it on John Turner's tab. Um, <laughs> well... Um, uh, loneliness and isolation, and often what happens is when you have a fall from grace, uh, I think you can tell the dimly burning wick and the bruised reed because their initial response is to retreat, to run away, to disappear. And a lot of that has to do with fear of, uh, of judgment. And so our last case of, of an even bigger fall from grace an even bigger fall from grace. We're talking about denying the God of the universe right before, lying, literally lying to God's face. Right? That's not something that, that um, uh, I, I hope I would never do, but, uh, but there's Jesus and uh, saying that he is to be crucified. Surely not, Lord. I'm going to be with you till death. And he tells Peter, you're going to betray me before it's all said and done. And then that scene when Jesus had been arrested and when he was being questioned and they're out in the courtyard clearly loving the Lord and one of the few that that went to see what was going to happen and then denying the Lord not to soldiers or to great minds and intellects but to people like a little girl. And I, I tell you, I don't even know the man. And then what? Peter's gone. He's gone. We don't even hear about Peter until, uh, until, at, until the resurrection. Right? We don't even know what's going on with Peter then. What do we do? He's hiding. Uh, he's, he's hiding. In fact, all of the disciples ditched Jesus except for John, uh, and, and he's there uh, at the foot of the cross, and, uh, and Peter's, Peter's gone. And, of course, you see that wonderful... Uh, restoration at the very tail end of, um, of, of John's uh, gospel. I mentioned the story last week where Peter, uh, I mean, this is what so, what Peter still understood was what God was like. What is God's property? To always have mercy. And so in spite of this moral failing, after they'd been fishing and the Lord is speaking to them from the shore, what does Peter do? He jumps in. He tries to get as close to Jesus as he possibly can. I mean, it's one of the, again, another Peter situation where his heart was outrunning his head. He really didn't have time to think about what he's doing because when he gets to the shore, you know, um, it's awkward. <laughs> uh, it's a little awkward. And so, but of course, Jesus being the kind uh, God that he is, uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know uh, that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter said to him, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay, uh, let's do a little Greek lesson. Um, some of y'all have probably heard this, and it is true. It's one of those things where a preacher said, like, how do you know that? Um, but it's a situation in which uh, Jesus is, um, is actually, they're interchanging words. Uh, agape being the Greek word for the self-sacrificing love of Jesus for his people on the cross. Right? That's the ultimate kind of love. Uh, it's actually great. Greek, uh, there are at least four words for love in, uh, in Greek, which is helpful because in English we have how many? One. I love my children. I love the hamburger at Chez Fon Fon. <laughs> right? So, it, right. Um, uh, but um, amongst the other Greek words, you have uh, phileo, which is uh, like a brotherly companionship uh, fraternal uh, type love, which is where, what's the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia, right. Uh, and uh, and there, uh, there's also eros, which is more of a, pa- it doesn't always mean erotic. It often means there's a passionate fierceness uh, behind the love. And, um, and Jesus and Simon Peter, well, first of all, it's interesting uh, that he's um, saying, he's calling him Simon, remember? That's his, that's his name, Simon, and it's Jesus that says, I will call you Peter. And so it's like going back to square one and the pain that every single word is dripping with meaning of Jesus saying, Simon. And Peter's saying, you're right, that's who I am. I'm not this rock. Uh, if anything, I got, I'm, I'm nobody. Uh, do you love me more than these? Uh, Peter's response, yes, Lord. You know that I phileo you. Uh, basically, an observation of my love for you uh, is incomplete. Uh, and the conversation goes on. Finally, uh, Peter says, uh, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I agape you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Uh, feed my sheep. Uh, the truth, this is the moment uh, where things really, the head and the heart sink for Peter. Uh, and he gets it. And in this Uh, feed my sheep. Uh, Jesus has restored Peter and said, I'm not holding this against you. Um, I died even for your betrayal. Uh, It's gone. It's as as if it never happened. And so, in fact, what you see on Peter's is any reluctance and any sort of worrisomeness about the incident is all from Peter. It's it's not uh, from God. And so, we see in Peter's restoration uh, who God is and, and what he's to do, and even how the church begins to interact uh, with Peter and seeing him as a great leader, uh, really the lead apostle uh, until uh, Paul comes on the scene, uh, but uh, really taking up that lead. The first, uh, the first, you know, we know Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles, but who's the first person to, mi- to witness to the Gentiles? Peter. Uh, Peter is. And so I really just want to kind of leave it with y'all this morning and to think maybe there's something in your life uh, that you've compartmentalized and is dark and you think is beyond forgiveness. Uh, And yet here we see um, forgiveness and restoration and wholeness in Peter, who has done much worse than you've ever done or could ever do. Uh, but also uh, those around us who are bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. Um, I mean, that was what Jesus got accused of. Like, 
you're hanging out with people who do bad things, have done bad things, who are broken. And even though they may have stopped that bad behavior, that's still who they are. And yet that's exactly uh, what Jesus uh, was about and who he went after. And so I'll give, I'll give some time for some questions and comments if you want. Just say it's your brother. Actually, the, the, the gospel this morning is Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And my grandfather used to always say, this is my least favorite story. In the <laughs> well, I, I'll just say that, that Paul's statement that he was the chief of sinners was a hook for me, that, that hmm. uh, I could relate to that. Yeah, um, I've told this story once before, and I don't like telling it, but I, I think that it, it does illustrate a point, and it's, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, set aside political considerations when I say this, and just take it at face value. The story about Becky Pippert, um, surprisingly, I would recommend Becky Pippert, but she uh, wrote in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, about this young girl who was lingering after her talk, and she's a young woman, married, and finally when everyone else was gone, she went up to Becky Pippert, and she talked about how she and her um, now husband had been le- youth leaders in this big evangelical church, and she ended up getting pregnant. And because of what she perceived to be pressure and not wanting to be judged, uh, she had an abortion. And she said that what should have been the most joyous day of her life while she was walking down the aisle to meet her soon-to-be husband, all she could hear as the congregation looked at her, the voices in her head were saying, murderer murderer and with tears streaming down her face just looking at Becky Pippert for some sort of word of comfort uh, in her situation and it can only be explained by the Holy Spirit of God uh, Becky Pippert looked at this woman and said oh you've done much worse you killed God's son and it was like this burden was lifted off of her shoulders when she was actually able to put in perspective what God had done for her, that she actually was forgiven, that she actually was restored, that healing was uh, available. And yet so many of us, I think, um, worry about the judgment of the church and just uh, keep it cooped up. Okay. What role do you think uh, going public or, or articulating your fall with either the people that you've agreed. What role does that play, or, or do you think it's more of a private? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, priests do this for a living. Uh, so you can, I mean, coming and saying one of the one of the priests sometimes that there's a friend uh, to reach out to them and say, I need some help, and that's really where I mean, this gets into what we've been talking about in the theological lecture series of sanctification, practically. What is the response to the Christian who comes to you and says, I've blown it? Now, some, the church um, sometimes will shun them, but sometimes the church will put them on like double secret probation and, and say, you now have to go, you know, you need to spend an hour a day reading your Bible uh, nonstop. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. When Jesus says, it is finished. It's all been done for you. So another story, um, so I wouldn't broadcast it. I don't think that that's necessarily helpful, especially if there are implications for a family. Um, uh, but 
um, a guy coming out of the back of the church one Sunday uh, admitted in the receiving line to Frank Limehouse, which is you know, not a good cl- place to get into a deep conversation, um, that he was addicted to pornography. And um, Frank just didn't know what to do. And Frank's response was, uh, he looked at him and said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the guy just came apart. He just came apart because that, uh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Not turning in on yourself or saying, I got to do, 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 uh, but looking to the author and perfecter of salvation. Tommy. Um, I feel like the story of Peter, you know, a lot of times we, we take comfort in it in the sense that it's, you know, Peter was such a, an idiot and he betrayed Jesus, but then he was restored. And we sort of feel like, or at least I historically have sometimes felt like that was the end of the story. Then Peter just became like the rock of the church and everything went well. Yeah, he didn't. And that's not true, but I was wondering if you could just say a word about that, because I feel like that cycle is, as believers, we're always in that cycle. Right. Reconciliation and repentance is an ongoing process. It's not a one and done. Um, And so Peter afterward, uh, church tradition, there's no reason to disbelieve it, that even when the persecution broke out under Nero in Rome, Peter said, see ya. Uh, Peter got on his horse and was heading out of town, and he heard the Lord speak audibly to him, where are you going? And there's a church there now you can go to, and Peter went back knowing that he would go back to his death. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just just it. And that's sort of the, the Ted Haggard understanding of now I have victory, I've overcome it. And so, and I do think that God does do that in some people's lives when it comes to addiction and things like that. But, I mean, the thing about you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, the whole notion of, um, you know, even if you've been sober for years, the reality of being one day closer to your next drink. Um, and so that um, keeping in touch with reality that you're saved, but um, don't, don't think, well, now I don't need Jesus so much, <laughs> right? I can kind of, I'm, I'm doing okay, that kind of thing. All right, speaking of work, I got to go. Let us bless the Lord.